Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Derek with the message. So I want you to think about the people in your life, okay? So just sort of get comfortable. If you're in my EF group, take a couple deep breaths and just relax for a second and just invite God to walk you through the people in your life. And what I want you to think about is the people in your life that you would call difficult people. Just think about it for a minute. Who are the difficult people in your life? I'm going to give you a second to get real present to who the difficult people are in your life. You know, maybe it's that person who drives really slow in the passing lane. Maybe it's the student in uh, one of your classes who is clueless and always asks a question that has already been answered. Maybe it's your next door neighbor who, this is very Altoona relevant, your next door neighbor who always parks in the spot that you shoveled out, right? And you've talked to them before, you now put your lawn chair and they move your lawn chair, you know? Maybe it's the, maybe it's your kids. Those of you who have kids, sometimes your kids are difficult. Maybe it's your spouse. For some of us, our spouse is sometimes difficult. Maybe it's that family member that you were with at Christmas and you were like, they are never going to get a clue. Does everybody have somebody in mind? Raise your hand if you have somebody in mind. Don't look at them. Don't. (laughs) You're not supposed to out them that way. Everybody has difficult people. I want you to shout out, without naming the person, I'm the difficult person. It's true. It's true. Just ask the people that work here. Um, What makes a difficult person difficult? Just shout it out. What makes someone difficult? Always complaining. What up? Argumentative. There was one over here. Stubborn. Rude. Messy. I like that one. Oblivious. Selfish. Disrespectful. Have we named them all? Loud. Gosh, you didn't have to call me out like that. Um, The truth is we all have difficult people in our lives, don't we? Like you don't have to, if you're in this room and you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you're online and you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't have to be a follower of Jesus to have difficult people in your lives, do you? It's not unique to Christians that we would have difficult people in our lives. Everybody has difficult people in their lives. And the question that we all have to wrestle with is, how are we going to deal with difficult people? Like, how are we going to deal with difficult people? And so I want to talk about that today. We're finishing our series called Finding the Power to Change. And we started at the beginning of the year in Galatians 5, 23. And our anchor for this whole series has been the, this verse that for many of you will be familiar. Verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, 
peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what I want to look at as we finish this series today, I want to look at this question of how do I deal with difficult people? How do I deal with difficult people? And what I want to show you is how the fruit of forbearance, of patience, is actually the way that we deal with difficult people. And so I want to like piece that together and, and show you that. But let's pray before we look uh, at this topic. So would you pray with me? So Holy Spirit, we just acknowledge your presence. And Lord, I'm so grateful that you uh, have not left us, that you don't abandon us, and that you have everything that we need. And so I ask God as we look at this topic of how we deal with difficult people, God, would you illuminate something in our hearts? Would you stir us to yourself? And would you fill us with your spirit? God, I pray that the words that I speak would be life-giving and that they would be everything that you intend and nothing that you don't. So come, Holy Spirit, have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I've said this over and over and over again, but I'm very resistant to just pulling verses out of context, you know, like fortune cookie Christianity, you know, like let's just pull a verse and decide we like it without any sort of context. So I'm going to read this to you. If you've been here every uh, week of this series, you're going to be like, I know this by heart. So follow along. Uh, beginning of verse 16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other, so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. The acts of the flesh are obvious, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, and envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. You know, I've said this before in this series, that these things that, that Paul talks about are not sort of like, you don't have to have Christian goggles to see them. That a lot of times people recognize the, the negative things that, that he talks about as negative. People don't like haters, right? People don't like people who sow discord and dissension. People recognize those things as problems. And you don't have to be a Christian to be somebody who wants more peace or wants more love or who wants to be more patient. That these things are, are, are desired by people who, who don't even follow Jesus. And so the, the, the first thing I want you to see is that these things are desired by all kinds of people. You don't have to be a Christian to want to be able to deal with difficult people. But why can't we deal with difficult people 
well? Why do we struggle? Why do we struggle with difficult people? Certainly one of the reasons that we struggle with difficult people is because we're impatient. Anybody impatient in here? The rest of you. Does your arm not work? (laughs) We struggle because we're impatient. Here's why I think this happens. This happens because a lot of times we think we have all the facts, right? You know the guy that goes zooming past you at like 100 miles an hour? Have you had this experience? You're like like the law-abiding citizen who's going seven over, right? Some of you are like, I don't understand why that's funny. Okay. Anyway. Uh, But you're you're the law-abiding citizen. You're just going, and then this person goes flying by. And what happens? You go, oh, I hope there's a cop up there. Don't you? Don't you just like... They're, they're so rude, they need to get what they deserve, right? And, and, and I can't believe, they're just so, ah, and I get mad. And I think I have all the facts. But what we maybe don't know is that they're taking somebody who's dying to the hospital. Or maybe we don't know that they're, that they're late for something really, really significant. Maybe they're late for their wedding, I don't know. We think we have all the facts, don't we? We think we can, we can prosecute already because we know all that there is to be known. We think we can, we can execute judgment because we already know everything there is to know about why somebody does something. Think about the person that you were thinking about a minute ago who is difficult. The reason they are the way they are, you in your mind have decided you already know of all the facts. I used to work for a guy who was, was very difficult to work with. He was very crass in all the wrong places. He was, uh, would tear people down. And I just had a hard time working for him. And at one point, I, I was complaining, because that's what you do. Um, I was complaining, yes, I am human just like you, uh, to other people that I work with. Those of you who are in EF, you know this is called triangulation. It's not a good thing to do. So I'm busy complaining about this boss. And they were like, well, do you know that his wife is wrestling with cancer at the moment? And I was like, no, I I didn't really know that. I just thought he was inconsiderate. I thought he was being a jerk just because that's who he is. We think we have all the answers. We think we have all the information, and it makes us impatient, right? Like, why do we need to wait any longer? Another reason I think we tend to be impatient is because what we want is justice right now for everyone except us, don't we? Don't you want justice for everybody else who bothers you, but you want mercy for yourself? Isn't that what you want? Like you, you want the, the person who goes sailing by you on the highway, you want them to get the ticket, right? Because how dare they? But when you go sailing by everyone else on the highway, you're like, it's a good reason. Give me mercy. I'm in a, I'm in a hurry to the hospital. I'm in a hurry to this. I'm in a hurry to that. We want justice now for everyone else, but we want mercy for ourselves. Do you see this in yourself? You want people to, like, think the best about you, 
while you decide that everybody else is doing it for the worst possible reasons. Steve Cuss, if you, anybody know that name? Steve Cuss wrote a book called Managing Leadership Anxiety. He's got a podcast. The podcast just recently changed names and I don't know the new name now. Uh, but one of the things that he says is that in the absence of information, people connect the dots in the most pathological way possible. Do you know that for most of us, when we don't have all the information, what we tend to do is we decide the reason people are doing the thing is the worst possible reason. Have you seen this in yourself? Like, think about it for a minute. If, if somebody does something that bothers you, somebody parks in front of your house in the spot you shoveled and they move your car, or your, not your car, they moved your car, your chair, right? They move your lawn chair and they park in the spot that you've shoveled out. If you don't have enough information, what do you decide? You decide the worst. This is what most people do. We make the most pathological connection. And we decide that they, that they were doing it to harm me and, and to be rude to me and disrespectful to me. But as soon as you have a conversation with someone, and you start to find out the real reason... All of a sudden, it's like, oh, maybe I didn't know. Maybe I can have mercy for you. But we tend to want justice for people now and mercy for ourselves. And here's, you want to hear the ugliest part of why we're impatient? It's sort of a summation of what we've already said. Essentially, we set ourselves up as God. We want everyone else to do the things the way we want them to do them. The problem is, we're just not as merciful as he is. So we set ourselves up as God and we, we're judge, jury, and executioner. We're not merciful, even though we want mercy for ourselves. Have you seen this in your life? This is the way, I mean, this is the way I operate a lot of times. It's the way most people operate. We just set ourselves up as God. Now, we recognize that we want to be more patient most of us are like, I mean, especially if you, if you have kids. Any of you have kids and, and you had young kids and you also wanted a clean house at the same time? <laughs> have you done that? Have you tried this one? I was a parent to little kids and I wanted a clean house. And it made me so angry when the house wasn't clean because my kids seemed to disrespect all of the, the, the rules of the house, right? Like the toys stay in this room. And if you have young kids and able to keep the toys in the right room, it doesn't work. It made me so angry because in essence, I want what I want right now. I set myself up as God and I'm not near as merciful as he is. So I recognize that as a problem, right? There are a number of us, if you have kids, if you were honest with yourself, you would say there were times and there have been times and maybe there continue to be times when I parent my kids in a way that I'm embarrassed by. Anybody ever lose their patience at their kids? And you just hope it didn't do too much damage? And you're really hoping they don't grow up with like traumatic wounds to their soul. You also don't want anybody else to know about it because we lost our cool. 
I mean, it's, maybe it's not just kids, right? Like, have you ever uh, done this to a friend? Have you ever been a friend in such a way that you were embarrassed by it? Maybe you lost your cool, said things that you regret, sort of walking on eggshells the rest of the time that you're friends, hoping that maybe someday it'll be okay, hoping they don't tell everybody that this is how you act whenever you get stressed out. I think most of us would want to be more patient. If I haven't described you, there's probably places where you want to be more patient, and we try to become patient in all kinds of ways, don't we? One of the ways that we try to become patient is we try to deny the things that we want or need. Have you ever done this? Like when you lose something or something is taken from you, you just go, well, I didn't really want it anyway. Have you ever done that? Really wanted that job. I was looking forward to it. Man, I wanted that job so bad. I could taste it. I knew I was going to get that job, and then I didn't get the job. And to console myself, I say, I didn't really want it anyway. Have you ever done that? Have you met people like this? And all they do is they just give away their personhood. They say, I didn't want that actually. I didn't have a need. I didn't have a want. It's actually akin, if you're, if you're familiar with sort of global faiths, it's very familiar to or uh, akin to Buddhism, which is to suppress or reject all desire, all longing that you have. If you go back around the time of Jesus, there's this thing called Stoicism. You know, if you've done any study of Marcus Aurelius, some of these guys, uh, watch it on Netflix. It's very fascinating. But this idea that desires, wants, and needs should be suppressed entirely. And if you can get out of needs or wants or desires, then you will be less affected by those things. This is not Christianity, this is actually something else. Because what you're saying is, the parts of me that have needs, that have wants, that have longings, that have desires, are not good parts, they're parts I should suppress. Christianity says, you offer those things to Jesus and allow him to shape them. You don't cut out parts of yourself. This is one of the ways that we try to become patient. One of the other ways we try to become patient as we create distance from people that bother us. Have you done this? We create distance, right? It's like, if I can just get far enough away from you, I won't be bothered by you, and therefore, I will look more patient. Right? Because if I get too close to you, I'm going to get stressed out and say something that I'll regret. And so I just create distance. Some of you are like, Oh, yeah, I do do that. It's very common. We create distance from the person that stresses us out, and so we can look like we're patient. Or a third one, sometimes we just cut people off. This is social media way of being patient, right? I can't handle that kind of negativity anymore. Cut you off. Have you seen this? Have you done this? This is the way social media tells you to become more patient. The people that bother you, the people that say things that irritate you, that act in ways that you can't stand, you should just cut them off. Here's the problem with all three of those possibilities. All three of those possibilities require you in some way to manipulate circumstances so as to appear peaceful and patient without becoming it. 
if you change your circumstances, if everything in your world requires the circumstances to be just right in order for you to be patient, the problem is not your circumstances, the problem is inside. Do you recognize this? I say this out of love because it's all of us. Because what most of us do, and if it's not just patience, it could be any number of things, right? I would just have peace if all the circumstances were just right. I could be a more loving person if all the people were lovable, right? I would have more joy if everything out here was happy. I mean, I could go on, right? I could have more self-control if there was no temptation outside here. I could be more gentle if there was no reason I needed to get angry. Do you see this? If everything in your ability to be patient is dependent on your circumstances being right, the problem is not out here, the problem is inside. That's actually where the problem lies. This is why it's so hard for us to figure out how to be patient people on our own. And can I just say, avoiding conflict is not patience. It's not patience to just decide you're not going to address any areas of conflict. It looks like patience. It just doesn't work like patience. So all these things make a, a fail to make us actually patient people because being actually patient people means being able to stay present with someone that bothers us without losing our patience. All these other things change your circumstances so that there's never anything that bothers you. And then it looks like patience. But actual patience, dealing with difficult people, requires something inside of your soul to be different in such a way that you can be present with people who are difficult and not lose your patience. That's a hard thing to do. Have you tried? That's a real hard thing to do without just sort of deciding I didn't want the room to be clean whenever my three-year-old was making a mess, or without cutting all the people out that bother me. It's really hard to do that. The Bible offers us something different. The Bible offers us forbearance, or in some of your translations, patience. The word means, it, it, the word is descriptive in Greek of, of the kind of person who is able to avenge him or herself but chooses not to. In other words, long-suffering, forbearance, patience, means you could act to avenge yourself and you make a choice not to. That's hard to do. That's real hard to do. It's different than endurance, which is putting up with difficult things or difficult circumstances. Long-suffering, suffering long, forbearance, patience is what you do with people. It's how you stay present to people. Contrary to the Stoic way of denying uh, that you have desires or needs, long-suffering Patience, forbearance, is being very keenly in touch with what it costs you to stay connected. 
It's not denying the things that it costs and pretending like I don't actually need them. It's not me pretending like I don't actually want the room to be clean when my three-year-old throws stuff all over the floor. It's actually being really present to the fact that I do want that to be clean. And there's a cost to me being patient. When you think about that person that's difficult in your life, are you keenly aware of the cost that you pay to stay connected to that person? Are you intensely aware of what it costs you? Or do you in some way try to distance yourself from that? Patience is being keenly aware of what it costs. Because the aim of long-suffering, the aim of patience, is relationship. The aim of long-suffering and forbearance and patience is to win the person. It's relationship. The reason I, to the best of my ability, didn't lose my mind when my kids were three and one and making messes, the reason I chose to bear the cost of the house not looking like it should is because what I wanted was to win my kids. What I wanted was relationship. This is forbearance is longing for relationship and is putting up with suffering for the sake of hopefully one day they'll change. Now, long-suffering is not being a doormat. Long-suffering is not putting yourself in a position where you're constantly abused. It's not saying, well, I guess... Physical abuse for the sake of Jesus. I'm getting beaten on a rate. That's not what I'm saying. It's choosing to look past someone else's failing for the sake of hopefully one day they'll come home. It's choosing to endure someone else's faults and wrongs so that one day maybe they'll come. But the fruit of the Spirit are not individual. It's not love and joy and peace and patience. The Bible says it's the fruit of the Spirit is the whole thing, which means we don't just take patience or forbearance or long-suffering, whatever word is in your book, apart from gentleness, which we talked about a few weeks ago, is being able to have a measured response in conflict. It doesn't mean we never say something. It's not being a doormat. But it's for the sake of relationship I will overlook a fault so that hopefully one day I could win you. Here's what makes this hard for us, even if you're a follower of Jesus. Naturally, what we want to do is be selective about who we want to long suffer to win, don't we? Like, Jerry loves me, she loves me a lot. So she suffers long in hopes that one day I will change and she will win the person, right? My kids suffer long in hopes that one day, I say it that way on purpose, but we're selective, aren't we? 
Aren't we selective about who we're willing to put up with their nonsense? We sort of go, you know, I'm just not putting up with their nonsense any longer. Why? Because I don't love them. I don't care about them that much. So today it's hard stop. I don't like you. We tend to get selective, which is just what I said earlier is the way that naturally we would do it. But there's something different. If we actually want to become long-suffering people, we need a good model. And God is our good model. You see, every last one of us, whether you follow Jesus or you don't follow Jesus, you were created with a purpose. You were created with two primary functions. One of them would be to reflect God's goodness and his love and his care and his rule and reign into the world. It would be to live your life in the way that God would live it if he were you. So that everyone around would know what God is like because they interacted with you. That's one of the purposes that we were created with. The second purpose was to sum up all of the praises of creation. Every time somebody was like, wow, I'm so grateful for that. You say, ah, yeah, I, I know who, who you're grateful to, even if you don't. It's to sum up all the praises of creation and direct them back to the creator. We work like an angled mirror. You know these angled mirrors, right? Where you can like look and you can see around a corner. There's like a two-way thing happening. That's how we're supposed to function, that we function, we, we are in touch and connected to God and we execute and live into his purposes in the world and then we sum up the praises of creation and we direct them back to our creator. That's our function in the world. That's what it is to be an image bearer of God. And every last one of us on both of those fronts have failed Every last one of us has decided at one time or another, I'm going to be God in the world. I'm going to get my way. I'm going to set up my own kingdom. This world is going to work the way I want it to work. And I'm not concerned with what God wants. Maybe I'm sort of concerned, but only so far as I don't get in any trouble. But I'm going to do things my way. We're Frank Sinatra, right? I did it my way. We're Burger King. You can have it your way right away. I, I don't know. They're not paying for this. It would be cool if they did. Put that down as a funding source. Every last one of us has done that at some point, right? We've done relationships our own way. We've done uh, our work our own way. We've done neighboring our own way. We've done parenting. We've done uh, spousing. We've done childing our own way. Every last one of us. And every last one of us has received the praise of creation and been like, man, I'm great. And maybe if we wouldn't say that, we would just sort of go, when somebody goes, that's a good job, you go, I know. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And I withhold the praise that is due the creator. Every last one of us, from the day we were born at some level, have failed to live the way that we were created by God to live. And do you know how long God has put up with your nonsense and my nonsense? Every single day. If, you, if you've ever pressed into confession as a, as a regular practice, God, I have fallen short of your glory. I have fallen short of living the way you've designed me to live. And every single day, you're back in the same spot again. 
I've done it again, God. I've fallen short of the way that you've created me to live. Every one of us. And do you know what God's response is to us? It's long-suffering. It's patience. It's his kindness that leads us to repentance. This is how God relates to us. And if you have ever thought about what it means that there is a boatload of ways that you have come up short, that you have been the difficult person to God, that you have frustrated the ways that he created you to live and to thrive and to be. And if you've ever thought about that, what you realize is that at some level, I need to be restored and forgiven. I need to be set right. Because I have made a mess. And when you bring that to God and you say, God, I don't know what to do with this. I'm so aware of the ways that I fall short of what you've called me to be. Do you know in his patience and his kindness, he even makes a way for us to be restored and forgiven. Have you ever taken stock of what it cost Jesus to be patient with you? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever thought about what it cost Jesus to to long suffer in hopes that one day you would come back to relationship? Have you ever thought about that? And yet he does it willingly. And if you can hold all of that and you have received the gift of the, 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 the forgiveness and the restoration that Jesus offers for this boatload of mess that you have made, and that I have made. All of a sudden you start to know what long suffering is. And he restores you to relationship with your father. But it gets better than that. It's not just that you get forgiven and restored. He says, I will put my spirit in you. And what will blossom out is long suffering. It will come out of the awareness that you have that it has cost everything for God to pursue relationship with you. And then you can sit with someone who is difficult and you can offer them patience. You don't have to run away. You don't have to pretend like there wasn't something taken from you or there wasn't a cost for you to be patient with them. And at the same time, you can offer patience, forbearance, long-suffering. You actually can become a patient person. That it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You can actually be patient with people. But it gets better than that. If you've ever done this and you've prayed for patience... The Spirit of God leads you into places where you can exercise it. Because it's like a muscle. The more you exercise patience, the more patience you have on tap. There was a guy in the earlier years of our church who came here, and we baptized him, and 
and he was real excited, and we're doing a Bible study at the Clay Cup, and, uh, and we get to the end, and he was like, I'm just not very patient. I said, well, why don't I pray that God would give you patience? So I prayed for this guy. I said, God, would you just give him patience? Would you just give him your patience? Would you put deep in his soul your spirit that your spirit would make patience in his life? The next week he came and he was mad at me. Some of you know why he was mad at me. Because the next week he had lots of opportunities to be patient. But it works like a muscle. The Spirit will lead you into places where patience is actually formed in your soul. And you become the kind of person who can deal with difficult people the way Jesus does. Do we want to be those kinds of people? Or do we want to just keep trying to do it the way everybody else tells it to? We'll just cut people off and distance from people. I think the invitation to us from Jesus is that we actually would be patient people. That we actually could offer patience to the world around us. I think that's what Jesus invites us to. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.